Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about Secure 2.0 and what it might actually mean for 401k plan providers. But of course, first things first, uh, that4ksite.com for other information on all our live events, Oakland, Detroit. Eventually, we're going to book something for June, hopefully. Um, but uh, we had a great uh, virtual conference last week. Uh, about uh, 70 people signed up, and as usual, about 40 people showed up. That's uh, par for the course. Uh, well, close to 50, whatnot. But uh, we had a. It was a good two days, three hours each day. We're going to do that again next year, 2024. We'll have information and uh, check out my email this week on a, a link to sign up uh, for next year's conference for free instead of paying the couple bucks or whatever it is. Uh, you know, there are there are some plan, provi plan providers that can't afford the $2.23 or whatever it was. Uh, so for a limited time, they'll be free. Um Things that stood out, um, you know, Josh so had a great uh, presentation. Uh, I, I, I mean, everybody really had a great presentation, but of course, for me, the, the fun was we did a uh, one-hour roundtable. Uh, Mike Webb, Bill Shores, Josh Itzko, um, Itzo, I'm sorry, um, and uh, James Holland. We had an hour discussion uh, about a lot of, uh, you know, Secure 2.0, what we liked, and litigation, and, and maps, and peps, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, I made sure not to uh, talk too much as being the moderator of the roundtable, you know, get my, uh, you know, two cents here and there, but let the other people speak, because, you know, it's, it's, it was my event, and, you know, I got this podcast, so I think people know my opinions, and it's great to talk to other people and get their, you know, you know what stands out for them with 2.0 and, you know, litigation and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And we, we also talked about the uh, ESG proposal and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and again, we'll do that again next year. Um, definitely that uh, roundtable will certainly come back. We'll, we're going to have to add some more people to it or whatever, you know, obviously people want to sponsor and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll see how it is and, We'll see, um, you know, how long we could have the events. Uh, three hours is great each day. I think the first year we did it, when we had the support, we did like five or six hours each day with some breaks. And, you know, again, these events only happen because people come out and support it, either by sponsoring or attending or whatnot. And I think it's really important to, in my mind, it'll get me in trouble, but um, I've always been a fan of having uh, different voices uh, people that you don't see on, you know, all these, you know, national live events. I, I always joke that it's the same, you know, two risk attorneys who show up for these things and speak. So, you know, for my area of the law, that's that's how I feel about it. And there are some, you know, plan providers out there that always get a chance to speak. And, you know, a lot of times it's great to see somebody else speak. And it was great, to, great certainly great to see uh, and, and hear from Mike Webb and, uh, I made sure Mike gave the testimonial to attending the live that 401k conference events because uh, one of the best advertise he's one of the best advertiser for the events and, and people showing up and all that stuff. So go to that 401k site.com for further information on the events. We're going to update the 2024 um, information soon, and then um, you know check that email. Probably gonna you probably got it by now or. 
uh, whatnot, and there's a link to sign up for free, a, a secret, uh, you know, secret uh, off-menu uh, item to uh, save you the $2.23 or for next year, $2.24 and, and be a part of it. Um, and again, um, it is on YouTube now, both days separated by day, so if you've missed it, uh, you can certainly watch it on YouTube. But let's finally... Stop dawdling and, and get to um, the topic. And, you know, this is really a, a review of a lot of what we talked about a couple weeks ago about, you know, Secure 2.0 for plan sponsors, but kind of my two cents about what it actually might mean for 401k plan providers. And um, Bernie Core was my favorite law school professor that I actually had, uh, you know, as a, as, as a professor. Uh, everybody knows that Jamie Raskin was the associate dean for the law school at American University, a near and dear friend to me. We agree very, very little on politics, uh, but had a chance to interview him last year, which was a lot of fun. But I never took Raskin uh, as a professor. I, he was a constitutional law guy, uh, criminal law, I think, too, and didn't have him for con law, didn't have him for criminal law. Um, and it just it just wasn't my, you know, my wheelhouse. Uh, I was always interested in tax and bankruptcy and whatnot. Bernie Corr was my civil procedure professor. Then I believe I had him for two different uh, classes in bankruptcy, I want to say. And I could be, I believe I did have him in two classes of bankruptcy. And was there a conflict of laws class I had him with? Maybe I, I I know I had him at least two two to three times, but uh, one of the running jokes about bankruptcy, I it, maybe it was one bankruptcy class and it was the advanced bankruptcy, whatever it was. But he he had a running joke that I I use all the time where you know he talked about bankruptcy code and he says it always gets amended every now and then because we need to give something for bankruptcy attorneys you know something to do and that's always my joke about. You know, Secure 2.0 and all the legislations that have been going on for the last 25 years keeps me in business. You know, uh, restatements, all that kind of stuff. But uh, we, in this you know presentation, we'll talk about you know certain provisions and the changing. But more importantly, we're not going to regurgitate what we said about last week. But I'm just going to give my two cents on how it affects plan providers. Okay, automatic enrollment escalation. Again, new plans are going to have to happen unless they're exempt governmental plans, people with less than 10 employees, that kind of stuff. Uh, there was an interesting discussion, and I didn't really get to ask that question in the roundtable, but maybe I did. But there was a lot of discussion for people in the audience who don't like mandatory provisions, it seems like way, about auto-enrollment, auto auto-escalation. And listen, I understand I'm kind of politically... I've always been right of center. I was more right of center when I was younger. Uh, I, I think I've mellowed out a little bit in life, not, not just politics, but just, you know, I, I, you get to a certain age and you realize it's, it's not worth fighting about. But I understand, um, you know, these, you know, I always talk about when automatic enrollment was um, called negative election. I was very much opposed to it. Um, I thought that was something out of the uh, Soviet Union <laughs> uh, because uh, because of the fact that you took out money out of people's paycheck and you plopped it into a money market account or maybe you did it in a stable value fund. But, you know, in those days, really, money market was, was what I saw as the dominant, you know, capital preservation fund in, in a plan. 
hated it. I hated negative election, never pushed it. Um, when automatic enrollment came into being uh, as part of uh, the Pension Protection Act of 2006, I was gung-ho for it because it gave that QDI protection. And I've always been under the belief, and it goes back to my politics days when I was with the college Republicans, get somebody involved at the beginning. So, you know, you automatically enroll these participants and you interest them in the 401k plan. They may decide to, you know, defer more. And, and no longer be automatically enrolled, but be actively enrolled. And that's how I see it. It's an opportunity. Um, and, you know, we have a retirement plan crisis in this country, and, and let's do something about it. And, you know, uh, it goes back to, you know, my discussion, uh, and, I, and I mentioned again the story of my buddy Richard Laredo, where we were fighting about this uh, provision back in 2006. And, I, and he said, well, you know, people are going to complain. They're going to knock down on the doors on, on the HR and complain. And, you know, he was a salesperson. He cared about that. And I said that, quite honestly, most people are passive aggressive. I don't think I use those terms in the days. I wasn't such an expert in narcissism, but uh, as I am now. Um, but, you know, my feeling was is that people like to complain uh, behind the employer's back. But when a push comes to shove you know, they're not going to do anything about it. They'll they'll opt out or whatever it is, or they just won't notice that 3%. And, you know, Rich, I remember going to every em employee where we were working at, would you, you know, and, and that, that poll was silly because, again, push comes to shove. Employees don't complain. They complain behind their employer's back, but they don't complain. Uh, most of them don't just don't have the cup of courage and, and go uh, confront their employers. I did, um, and you know that's why I'm on my own for the last 13 years. You know, when I worked at that TPA, you know, um, uh, you know, Rich was sick and whatever, uh, and he was told to go on disability, and uh, that negatively impacted their business in the future. But you know, the fact is, is that nobody complained when that happened to Rich. Nobody complained when people got fired. But the only time people ever complain that place, and I think I've mentioned it quite a few times, is when they no longer provided milk for the coffee. You know, it's something out of the movie Airplane 2. Stewardess, are you telling us the whole truth? No, we're out of coffee. And that's all of a sudden when people panic. Not the fact that they were a million miles, of course, or headed towards the sun. The fact that they didn't have milk for their coffee, that's what got them irritated. But, you know... I, so I understand why people don't like these provisions, these mandatory provisions, but in the end of the day, it gets people to defer, and that's a good thing. And if you're a TPA uh, and people defer more, that's a good thing. Uh, for financial advisors, you get paid on basis points, on plan assets, that's even a better thing. And yeah, I think there are still a handful of TPAs that still have an asset-based fee, which I'll never understand, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so... Again, I, I think anything that pushes it is good because as a plan provider, it can allow you to you know show the plan sponsor your expertise and interest and get people to be automatically rolled and then get them um, to do it on their own. And, and, and I think that that is um, something to be considered. Next, the optional Roth contributions um, for employer – the Roth treatment for employer contributions – yeah, uh, I had a debate with people on LinkedIn and, oh, you know, uh, employers, they're going to go for this. Uh, it's just a payroll function because they're going to have to take the employer contributions and have it taxed 
essentially for the tax that 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 has to happen because you have to get taxed on it for in order to get tax-free treatment. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be popular at all. Why? Most, as far as I'm concerned, most employers still have vesting schedules for employer contributions. Uh, again, my wife has a six-year match on on a you know when the firm she just started out with. Uh, six months in, she's finally eligible for the 401k plan. Six years match uh, vesting schedule. I can't see her employer, you know, uh, allowing uh, full vesting with this provision. I, I just, I can't because they're law firms and law firms are terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's just my experience. Law firms um, bank on the fact that there's big turnover and so, you know, the associate attorneys who burn out in three years or, or my situation, two years, uh, there's a forfeiture. They take those forfeitures to decrease the contribution for the staff that did remain. I will say that at Meyer Swazi, we had full vesting on a 5% profit sharing. And that was the best uh, plan that I was, was part of, even though I had to fix it because there was no financial advisor on the plan. But you know that story. Um, again, I don't see it being popular just because employers who have a vesting schedule are not going to vest anybody 100%. Yeah, I understand that with payroll, it's not so hard to calibrate it and tax them. But I think that that's the kicker. you know. And obviously, somebody who's paying tax upfront for employer contributions needs to be fully vested. Student loan debt. Using contributions, which just merely codifies what the IRS advisory or advisory opinion said on it. Uh, again, I don't, I don't think it's really popular. I, I, I really don't think it's going to be really popular. I know companies that were in the business of offering it as soon as it came out. Plant sponsors in my realm, medium, small plans, uh, I don't see them offering it. Uh, they don't want to be. They don't. They don't want the headache of offering it to go out and pay for somebody's student loan debt, which reminds me, I just got a notice. Uh, I think back. I think coming up in June, we're gonna have to start paying back that student loan. We've only had like a two-year. Uh, it's almost three years. A <laughs> three-year stop on it. Um, but I, I just, I just don't really see it. it, it it's too much work. Too many hoops. You got to link. The K to somebody's student loan, and then you have to have the participant certify. It's just too many steps. Employers don't want, don't care. That's how I see it. And again, these are my opinions. Emergency savings vehicles and 401k plans. Again, I don't see the popularity of that. Uh, I think, you know, who's going to do that? Large companies. You know, maybe Amazon. Maybe Microsoft. Maybe Exxon, all these big employers who really, you know, have that staff and, and really, you know, are interested in retaining staff. They may have that emergency vehicle. Uh, it, it's a great provision for people that want to put 2500 bucks away and uh, get a tax-free and penalty-free and, um, you know, no substantiation of a qualifying emergency. I, I think that's great. Uh, but I don't think many employers are going to go for it. It's just my two cents. The expanded credit for plan administrative costs, um, I think that's huge. Um, I think the problem that I always have, the expanded credit, is that most employer, most plan providers don't really push it because they don't understand it. They don't 
remember that that's part of their toolbox. And for new employers, especially in my opinion, you're going to get more and more state uh, coverage requirements where they're going to say, you know what, you got to offer a 401k plan, otherwise you're going to have to have an IRA. And what better way to show uh, the need for a 401k plan by offering these kind of credits and obviously the increased deferrals and the opportunity for employer contributions and whatnot. And I just think that, you know, again, um, it's it's a great boost uh, for plan sponsors to, you know, implement new 401k plans. And I think that that's something that plan providers certainly need to push. The Savers match, uh, I like that tax credit. And I think the idea of, of shifting a tax credit for people who are lower income and giving them a, a matching contribution is going to be a headache. Not only is it going to be a headache, uh, I always feel like when government gives money away, all it does is create a lot of fraud. Um, we saw that with PPP. Uh, I never filed for PPP. I just, I had such a bad experience um, with New York State and uh, Hurricane Sandy and getting money back and substantiating damage and... Um, they gave me um, like 10 grand as a business, no strings attached. And then all of a sudden, about a year later, oh, there's strings attached. And, you know, they try to claw the money back and it wasn't fun. So, but notwithstanding, again, government gives money away. Uh, I'm just concerned all of a sudden you're going to have these participants pop up uh, for some people to collect the two grand. But the provision doesn't go into play until 2027. That's four years away. Uh, that's a great idea that we have that kind of time frame because we have no idea how the government is going to link from, um, you know, again, the federal government to a 401k plan and deposit the money and make sure it's allocated to these participants. Um, you know, glad I'm not a TPA. That's all I have to say for that. Um, diminished incentives for plan participation. Again, talked about a couple weeks ago, contingent benefit rule. Uh, now we have this exception to it. You want to give away gift cards. You want to give away something cheap. Again, my joke about, you know, no New York Jets tickets. Uh, it can be done. I think plan providers should get behind it. Um, you know, offer it as part of their package. Hey, here's some Amazon gift cards. Uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Or, you know, my, my, my case, Fanatics. We, we love Fanatics gift cards. And one of the great parts of Costco membership is you get Fanatic cards at 20% off. So that $100 gift card, you get it for 80 bucks. My son loves Fanatics. Great way for Hanukkah and birthday gifts and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, great way to incentivize participants. A great way for plan providers to market themselves. Hey, we got this great uh, tool and in investment education. We make it fun for plan participants and we give away gift cards. And of course, you know, the plan providers will charge the plan sponsor for the gift cards or pad their feet to include that. And I, I, I think that, you know, is a nice little gimmick. Uh, I like free stuff. <laughs> Who doesn't? You know, it's one of my biggest problems with, um, there's always big talk with, um, Recently now, the NHL had Gay Pride, uh, Gay Pride Night. The Rangers had it, um, and they didn't have the, they weren't wearing the jerseys because of what happened in Philadelphia. And my biggest qualm about these Pride Nights and uh, Heritage Nights and all that stuff is, 
I'm going to go. I want something to be given away. I went to the Mets Pride night last year, I think, or two years ago, and it was fantastic because I got a free shirt, and I like free stuff. And um, the retirement savings lost and found, which um, I think is uh, long overdue, and it's not surprising that the Department of Labor is going to go push for this. Uh, idea that there's going to be a searchable database that will allow a retirement plan participant to, to look up or whether they have a, a, a information and whatnot because Social Security has that notice and information and that that, that information is just uh, completely old. They're probably telling me I, I still have money from a, a job that I left long ago that I rolled over, but I uh, I like the idea of it. But, you know, it says beginning in 2025, plans are going to share information with the DOL for this database. And uh, it always reminds me, sometimes my wife says, you know, we're going to do this. No, it means I'm going to do it. Uh, we're not going to pick Meredith up at 10 o'clock at night from the train station. It's going to be me. So when they say plans are going to tell the Department of Labor, no, it means the TPA. The TPA is going to do it. TPA is going to transmit that information to the Department of Labor. So more work for the TPA to do. And, you know, they, 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 they don't have anything to do. That's sarcasm, folks. Um, increase of self-correction, EPCRS. We've been headed down that route for years, and I, I think it's no different than, um, you know, the termination letters. Uh, if you recall, uh, anybody who had a uh, uh, non-standardized prototype or volume submitter or custom-made plan had to, should have gone to the uh, IRS and, um, asked for the termination letter, and then I want to say it was 2006, might have been. Uh, IRS wanted to get out of the termination letter business and, um, you know, said word by word adopters of uh, non standardized prototypes, volume submitters, don't had didn't have to seek a termination letter of their own. Then, of course, they increased the fees on the termination letters and. IRS submissions on terminations went bye-bye. We didn't want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get a ruling. We took our chances with an audit. Um, and I say, I, I say that way with self-correction. Uh, the IRS wants plan sponsors more and more to self-correct on their own, fix these issues, don't need IRS approval. Uh, but, of course, uh, they will give you the hammer if they audit you and you didn't self-correct and fix it. And... Um, you know the overpayments and all that stuff. It's just they wanna they they wanna you know probably focus on audits uh, where they have problems and, and get out of the VCP uh, situation. And um, you know obviously VCP program became more and more popular. So this is just merely mirroring the opportunity uh, and the guidance from the IRS to cut down on VCP applications and do a lot more stuff through SCP. What does it mean? It means people like me have less fees, and same thing with uh, same thing with you know termination letters and whatnot. Uh, that's just going to become a thing of the past, probably. Obviously, larger errors. They're you know uh, folks that goofed on compensation definition for twenty years. They're still going to go to the VCP, but for a lot of these small type errors. Uh, less and less uh, applications. Next on the list, retroactive amendments are allowed until the tax filing date. Love that. Any type of uh, increase in benefits, you don't have to get that amendment in before 1231. 
Uh, this goes hand in hand with Secure 1.0 that said, you know, if you implement a full, uh, new plan, you don't have to sign it on that day. You got the tax due date. So you still have this where you have an extension to the tax due date to put in these um, retroactive amendments. We like it uh, just because, you know, timing aspect of it gives the opportunity for the plan sponsor not to panic on December 31st. More importantly, for people like me, um, more peaceful end of the years. Uh, you know, when I was working for a TPA, that 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 stretched that last month of December uh, until the last minute, putting in plans and putting in amendments, not a lot of fun. You know, FedEx was uh, was our friend, or we were FedEx's friend in those days. Last but not least, obviously Section Four or Three B maps and peps. Um. I, I told the story that uh, I worked for I, I had a TPA client who paid a certain nurse attorney about forty grand to uh, opine that four or three Bs uh, were eligible for MEPS, even though the code said they could do it, and code nowhere in the code said they could do it. Nowhere in the code said they couldn't do it. But anyway, now you can. I, they will be allowed to do that, and uh, uh, I just think that. Uh, you know, quite, quite honestly, it's going to be a slow process. 401k peps haven't really taken off as people would suggest. I mean, I think the, the, the peps are succeeding. They're few and far between. So I see the same thing with 403b maps and peps. And I think it's a great opportunity for those that are interested in it. Just it's hard, hard business. It's, uh, you know, uh, again, a lot of peps mention that they're starting, not a lot of Peps mentioned how much assets they have. So we'll see what happens. Like I said uh, at the conference, I'm like one of the league leaders when it comes to being a, a PPP. But what does that mean? It, you know, I get a nice fee here and there, but, uh, you know, when you're getting uh, pennies pennies for being a, a PPP on some plans, it's, it's not fun. I wouldn't say pennies, but, you know, we're not talking thousands of dollars. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a difficult process. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, of course, with four three B plans, I will always say that the biggest abuses are in the non ERISA space. And until you cover non ERISA plans um, and give protection, you know, teachers, um, which is not exactly my favorite group of people, but teachers uh, tend to have the worst experience when it comes to retirement plans because of the way non ERISA four three B plans are set up on a school district level. And I, I wish that there was some sort of lower protection for them. Um, and still, until we get some type of risk of coverage for these plans, we won't. But neither here nor there. Go to that 4 for information on all our live events. Um, we will be in Oakland, Detroit, uh, and some other towns this year. So please uh, go there and check out. And we'll see you next time for another episode of that 4 podcast. Thanks. Bye.